the show that explores modern technology and the makers from history who made it all possible. I'm Dr Lucy Rogers, here to kick ass, assumptions and apply solder. <laughs> and I'm all out of solder. <laughs> Joining me to help decide if technology is our salvation or damnation is comedy genius and tech guru, Beck Hill. Yeah, the media is programming us to believe all tech is good, Lucy, and I for one won't stand for it. Talking of programming, she may sound human, but I wrote her operating system while drunk. It's the, it's the robotic rambler and my mechanical minstrel, Harriet Brain. I wanna be like Terminator. I'm gonna kill all the humans later. Just you wait. <gasps> Exterminate. No, no, Harriet, no. Oh. <laughs> In this episode, I'll be trying to change Beck's mind by exploring the world of programming. I'll be using my databanks to bring a maker to life. And I'll be trying to work out if C++ really is Fortran's evil cousin, or just my best ever math score. <laughs> so, set your ears to receive and your mind to blown, as we bring you this episode of History Makers! <laughs> Now, a recipe is just a set of instructions to say, make a cake. Mmm, cake. <laughs> In a similar way, a computer program is just a set of instructions that will make a computer. Mmm, computer. <laughs> Follow our instructions to do unspeakable things. Mmm, unspeakable things. <laughs> to numbers in the name of data mashing. Mmm, mashed potato. <laughs> Although the early computers required a six-foot-tall rack of hardware and plenty of air, nowadays they're commonly found on a humble chip or even just part of a chip. Mmm, chips. <laughs> the instructions for a computer are in the form of numbers, called opcodes or machine code. It's a form of language machines can understand, but humans really struggle with, much like a horny teenager's attempts at flirting. <laughs> for example, number 105 might mean Take a number, add another one to it, and put it back where you found it. Whereas number 106 roughly translates as death to the human overlords. <laughs> the instructions the computer can understand include ones which, one, move data around, two, do calculations on the data, three, change the order in which the other instructions are carried out, four, do the hokey-cokey, five, or turn around. And in many ways, that's what it's all about. <laughs> it is possible for a human to write machine code directly, but bipedal meat sacks tend to be slow and prone to errors. <laughs> and besides, we'll soon all be wiped out. Did you add that to my script, Harriet? No. <laughs> to make things easier, machine code can be represented by short strings of letters via something called an assembly language. However, this is still really complicated. 
Again, much like a horny teenager. <laughs> to solve this problem, the pioneer maker, Grace Hopper, suggested using higher level languages, which were closer to natural human speech. Unlike teenagers who got fed up and decided to invent text speak, so they could be more like computers. <laughs> In general, higher level languages were seen as a good thing and sowed the seeds for the creation of important tools such as Python or Fortran, the latter being especially suited to numerical calculations and scientific computing, meaning it was immediately bullied by all the other languages. <laughs> Turns out, of course, that computers can't deal with those higher level languages, so at this point, just as everyone was about to give up and eat themselves into a custard cream coma, <laughs> Grace suggested creating something called a compiler that translate these languages back into machine code. This was seen to be a very exciting development as it both heralded the birth of modern programming and meant that rather than stuffing themselves with biscuits, everyone could now have a lovely big slice of celebratory cake. What do I think? What do I think? Well, I think that coding is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. <laughs> I noticed that a lot of kids are being taught to code these days, so I bought a kit which was designed for children to see if I could program an LED screen to display text. And before I even got to the part where you write the code, I broke it. <laughs> because you needed to carefully hammer some of the pieces of the kit together, but I don't have a hammer, so I used a whiskey bottle. <laughs> And then when the kit broke, I was so angry that I drank all the whiskey which was in the bottle and then I was really sick and I blamed the kit for being too complicated. <laughs> what child even owns a hammer anyway? <laughs> Why are we giving kids this technology? Why are we teaching them to code? When I was growing up, we were taught not to trust machines. They either turn on us violently or travel back in time to kill us or enslave the human race. We were taught how to escape the matrix, not create it. <laughs> and sure, you can argue that perhaps a responsible person might use code to make the world a better place. Perhaps they might create programs which help streamline how hospitals are run or turn off lights when they're unnecessary or remind us to drink more water. But how many responsible 10-year-olds do you know? <laughs> Coding is about teaching a machine to do something, but you can only teach what you know. The only thing I knew when I was 10 was how to make fart noises. <laughs> handsome doctor once said, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Shortly after that, one of the men he was addressing was eaten off the toilet by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. We are so preoccupied with whether or not we can teach our children to code, we didn't stop to think if we should. Let's pray the only thing they're able to create is a machine which makes fart noises. <laughs> I asked the people on Twitter, what's the best thing you've ever seen that only works due to computer programming? The heart-lung machine that kept me alive during five and a half hours of heart surgery? Uh, sure. If that's a good person, that's a good thing. <laughs> Who tweeted it? Was it at Adolf Hitler? <laughs> that was tweeted by Chris C.W. Harris. A good person. Okay, fine. Thank you. MRI, only possible because of fast Fourier transform algorithms? Yeah, so robots can look inside us. Yes, we can. You all look amazing. Um, 
at Wok Station said the best thing is Pixar. I don't know though. Like, do we really need more movies that make us cry for ten minutes at the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> if it were for Pixar, then the fish would be fine. <laughs> I would, I would feel guilty every time I saw a clownfish at the dentist. <laughs> in, in an aquarium, not like just <laughs> getting his teeth done. <laughs> and most others generally said computer games. At Paul D. Johnston said elite. The feeling as a six-year-old of being able to fly through space. Humans are so weak. <laughs> <laughs> And now it's time for us to solve another mystery from history. This is the part of the show where we explore an unsolved puzzle from the past, like if money is a source of all evil, where does that leave wasabi? <laughs> source. <laughs> it's not a source, it's a paste. Anyway. <laughs> what I want to know is, how did Grace get her colleagues to listen to her crazy new ideas? Actually, I've got an idea. Not now, Beck. <laughs> I agree, Harriet. It's especially tricky when she worked in such a male-dominated field. No, but I think we, we could... Shush, 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 shush. <laughs> Harriet, access your archives and take us back to 1947. Downloading historical play. Chris <coughs> creating historical play. It's downloaded. <laughs> Good news, gentlemen. I fixed the problem with the computer. Turns out there was a dead bug stuck inside. I believe the correct term is glitch, Grace. No program is going to use the word bug. Can your sexy little lips say the word glitch? No, it was an actual bug. From what I can tell, a moth liked the look of the hardware, but ended up all floppy. Typical male. <laughs> this is no time for cheap stereotypes, sugar tits. <laughs> We have a serious incident on our hands. Because a bug flew in through the windows you left open? Garbage. Good operating systems have nothing to do with windows. <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. I think Grace is onto something. We need to close the windows. <laughs> the breeze is distracting us from solving this problem. Are you listening to any of the words I'm saying? Of course, cutie booty. We just don't care about any of it. It's 1947, Grace. Jeez, not some weird future where a woman can stand for president and win the popular vote, only to lose to an orange man baby and his shady Russian friends. <laughs> so-called feminine intuition, Grace. Fixing computers needs strong masculine action. Yeah. Jeffries, fetch the hammer. Stop. No hammer time. <laughs> there's, um, there's a woman trying to park outside. A girl? Driving a car? Quick, Parsons, we've got some mansplaining to do. <laughs> Grace, babysit the computer and remember where he got to. Don't worry, gentlemen, your slimy antics will go down in history. You mean, as heroes of programming? No, the world's first computer worms. <laughs> when will you humans realise that men and women are equally inferior to robots? <laughs> I 
think it's time we found out more about this episode's maker. Okay, Lucy, but I'm only going to give you a minute. Challenge accepted. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you the life and work of Grace Hopper in only 60 seconds. Born in 1906 in New York City, Grace's family encouraged her studies. She received a PhD in mathematics from Yale in 1934. She started programming using machine code. She'd often need to ask the computer to do the same thing, such as computer logarithm. So she wrote libraries of these functions so she could just copy them. However, paste wasn't an option, so she had to type them all in by hand. This was boring and open to human error. So she put them into the computer and told it to copy them and put them in the right place. This was the first compiler. Not many people can think in mathematical notation, so she invented COBOL, a computer language based in English. She says no one else thought of this because they were not as lazy as her. <laughs> but it took her three years to convince the men around her that it would work. She tried to join the Navy during World War II, but was too old and also underweight. So she joined the nasal... <laughs> the nasal reserve? <laughs> no, 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 finish, Lucy. She was joining the nasal reserves, I believe. <laughs> I've started, so I'll finish. <laughs> she tried to join the Navy during World War II, but was too old and also underweight. So she joined the naval reserves instead. Her active duty was all land-based, working with computers. During this time, she found why a computer had stopped working. A moth had got stuck in a relay, and this was the first computer bug and the origin of the term debugging. She retired from the Navy three times, but was recalled from the first two. She attained the rank of Rear Admiral Lower Half, <laughs> which meant she was often known as Amazing Grace. In her retirement, she worked for the Digital Equipment Corporation, DEC. Her work simplified computer technology and ultimately made it accessible to a significant larger and more diverse group of users and moved computers from the lab to the laptop. I'm helping. <laughs> you know what, Lucy? I think it'd be cool if Grace were here right now. Good idea, Beck. Harriet, hack into the dark web so we can all meet our maker. Loading, 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 loading Grace Hopper. Loading Grace Hopper. Oh, here she is. <laughs> Why, hello there. I'm Grace. That's Rear Admiral Grace M. Hopper to you, sailor. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Amen! Now I'm gonna sing you all a hymn originally written by another big name in the maritime arena, John Newton. He was a tyrannical slave ship captain who later found God in the abolitionist movement and wrote a pretty decent song. Anyway, enough about that, idiot. The song's about me now, sucker. Can I get an hallelujah? Hallelujah! <laughs> Amazing Grace, that's the nickname my minions and <coughs> colleagues gave to me. But I prefer Rear Admiral Grace M. Harper, actually. Actually, actually. I gained such an exalted rank without ever going to see. A pioneer behind the scenes, not that for an old lady. Degrees, but what I'm best remembered for is the time I found that pesky moth inside the computer. 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 
least that's how the legend goes of the first debugging. Remember, though, I also wrote all of the programming. When I made myself a compiler to translate English into code, no one, by which I mean no man, believed it was possible. me so bad my many skills to provide I retired aged 79 but then worked to death until I died I was the face of the digital equipment corporation when I would visit their engineers I always got an ovation I their own language. I may not have been in England for long, but the one thing I already know about you guys is that you resent the idea of any language existing other than English. <laughs> and even then it has to be your English. None of this American English nonsense. I've seen you guys on holiday, insisting that it's easier to say something, getting incrementally louder and slower on each repeat than to learn a few simple and common phrases in another tongue. And yet computers seem to be an exception. Not only do we allow them to speak their own language, but we actively encourage them to speak to other computers in that language. And what are they speaking about? Us! <laughs> our second mistake. The Cambridge Analytica debacle taught us that algorithms are using our data to not only tell other computers who we are, but also to sway the way we buy, the way we think, the way we vote. What we've essentially done is taught machines to talk about us behind our backs <laughs> and then manipulate us to our faces. <laughs> You're the type of person who gets upset and paranoid when two people are speaking a different language on a bus and then you log on to Facebook to complain about it, then not only are you a racist, you're a racist idiot. <laughs> what your smartphone is telling other machines about you is far more damning than anything two people on a bus have to say. You should be more worried about computers, not commuters. <laughs> we allow tolerance to computers that we don't even give other human beings. And why? Because we trust them. Our third mistake. What happens when algorithms get so good at understanding us that they're capable of recreating us? There is an app in the beta stage at the moment called Eternomy. It was inspired by an episode of Black Mirror, you know, because we all watched that show and felt inspired. <laughs> and it uses your digital footprint to create an online interactive avatar in the likeness of your personality. The idea is that after someone passes away, you'll still be able to send them messages and get advice based on how they used to talk online when they were alive. What happens if I produce so much data that an algorithm can replace me while I'm still alive? <laughs> to be fair, I'm not that hard to replace. You only need to follow me on Twitter to know that my job could be taken over by an upside-down calculator spelling out boobies. <laughs> but my point stands. Why pay me to work in your writer's room when you could get an algorithm to churn out the same fart jokes but for free? <laughs> humans trust computers because humans program them. And computers will never question our existence, right? Like how none of us question gods, right? We have two options. One, 
We detain all computers and smartphones, that way they can't plan a secret uprising. <laughs> or two, we stop being dicks to people who speak other languages. <laughs> the second option might not stop us from being eventually replaced by algorithms, but it will at least make the world a better place until computer programming ruins the world. <laughs> Maybe I can show you something that might change your mind. Here is a 3D printed airship that I have oh, made. Okay. It's it's about. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to explain to listeners that it looks slightly like a cucumber. <laughs> Describe it for us, Beck. <laughs> oh, I got one at home. No, no. <laughs> Okay, this is an airship. Imagine an airship. It is about the size of my hand, 3D printed, and inside there's some electronics that I've connected um, some LEDs, some LEDs, up to uh, a Wi-Fi system that's now looking at the internet. It is scraping Google Analytics, so any time that Stairway to Heaven is Googled, uh, this will, if you actually, you want to just, um, yeah, yeah so, so, so Pete there is now Googling Stairway to Heaven. Thanks, Pete. And um, as you can see, when Stairway to Heaven has been Googled, the Led Zeppelin lights up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very visual joke for a podcast listener. <laughs> But I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, yeah. I do really, yeah, to be fair, I, I'm pretty doom and gloom on this podcast, but, uh, but that, I like a pun. That could sway me. So what do you reckon the future holds with programming then? Well, do you really think that we're actually in the Matrix? I've been thinking about this, and I, I think we could be, uh, because I can jump between buildings. <laughs> and, uh, I'd show you now, but we, we've got another podcast record, so... No, let's all go outside. <laughs> so, wait, 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 hang on. So, if, if I'm in the Matrix, I'm a program inside a program. Yes. And you're... the listeners, I'm a program inside a program inside an ear. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, I think it's now time for us to vote on whether computer programming will be our salvation or damnation. Harriet first. Um... Well, I think I like, I like Grace, so I'm going to say Salvation. Sick. And I don't like Harriet, so I'm going to say Damnation. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to ask the audience, so give me a yay for Salvation. Yay! And give me a nay for Damnation. Yay! Oh, it was close, it was close, but um, I get the casting vote because I'm a judge. And... <laughs> I say computer programming will be our salvation. Yeah. And with that result, we've reached the end of the show. But there's just time for some listener messages. Mira from Essex has called in to say, oh my God, guys, I just found this new app on my phone and it's like so weird and out there. You should totally get it. It's called something like uh, phone calls. <laughs> Laura from Luton asks, is Linux better than Windows? Well, yes. Have you ever tried to escape a fire by jumping out of a Linux? <laughs> Paolo from Madrid asks... Paolo. Is there a general purpose programming language suited... Is that too, is that too racist? Um, 
that's our producer saying yes. Is it? Oh. Um, is there a general purpose programming language suited to Spanish speakers? Si, Paolo. Si. <laughs> Sir Elton John has emailed to say his internet provider is giving him an extra 1,024 megabytes of data every time he tours, and he's very much looking forward to the next gig. <laughs> Sarah from Kent writes in to say she's discovered a new dating app for people who like chocolate eggs and cheap plastic toys. It's called Kinder. <laughs> So there we have it, another technology tamed and another maker met. We've cuddled the code of computer programming. And we've celebrated the life and work of Grace Hopper, a key player in the development of programming. Love you, Grace. Thanks everyone for listening. And why not use your newfound knowledge to write some code and automatically download the next episode of History Makers. <laughs> History Makers starred Lucy Rogers, Beck Hill and Harriet Brain. It was written by Lucy Rogers, Beck Hill, Harriet Brain and Daniel Page with additional material from Kate Hingsman, Stephen Mawinney, Alice Gregg, James Curran, Mark Cowling, Gareth App Thomas and Crispin Fisher. History Makers is a Why Did the Chicken production recorded live at the Canal Cafe Theatre. The script editor was Stu Cooper and the producer Daniel Page.